there at Johnson and Johnson, it would it would cost a hundred thousand dollars to do consumer research, but I learned here that you can do it very cheaply and quickly, and it's very important. Hey, welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My guest today is Diane Danforth, the CEO and founder of AmeriCat. All of her products are American-made and perfect for cat owners. She talks in this interview not only about the sourcing of her manufacturers and her experience in large corporate marketing, but also the way in which she has slowly and methodically built out her library of products to meet all of her customers' needs. I found this fascinating. I'm more of a dog guy than a cat guy, but there's still a lot to learn if you fall in that same boat. Here is my conversation with Diane Danforth. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, let's start off. What is AmeriCat and what is the mission? AmeriCat company creates cat products that are all made in the USA from safe US source materials. I love cats and through our products, like my goal is really to bring health and happiness to cats and then peace of mind for their owners because people's cats are like their babies to them and they want to know the products that they're using every day is safe. I have seen some different like venture capital investors report because they'll see the, you know, pet insurance company or these other type of things. And this mega trend of, you know, animals, pets moving from the animal that's kind of residing in the house and maybe it's, it, you know, an indoor, outdoor cat that you barely interact with to really being perceived as part of the family is kind of one of this growing trend. It seems like you're perfectly poised to participate in that. Yeah, they're definitely part of the family. That's how my customers see their cats. And they just want the best for them. They want them to be safe. They want them to be healthy. So that's that's why this all came about. I was Christmas shopping. It was December 2016 for my two cats, um, looking for made in the USA cat products for them on Amazon really late one night. And I was looking for toys specifically and was just shocked at how few options there were. There was basically one other company that was focused on making Made in the USA cat toys, but the look of their products and also their messaging just didn't connect with me. It wasn't something that I liked um, for my home, for my cats. And I mean, that was really the aha moment. Like I stayed up super late that night researching more there's got to be more cat products that are made in the USA out there, toys, other products that cats use every day, but but there really wasn't. And that night was when I decided to start the business. I I kept staying up late looking more and thought there's something here that that other people must also want made in the USA cat products for their cats. So the next day I told my family, <laughs> I uh, got their opinion on if they thought it was a good idea or not. What they, was their opinion? They, they were very supportive. Oh, I wasn't awesome. sure if they would think I was crazy at first, um, but they thought that there was something there. Like my family also likes made in the USA products in general. Um, I decided the name for the company, which was USA Kitty, <laughs> which has since changed um, through some consumer research that I did. But that was really the start of it about four years ago. And take me through uh, what the original like product that you launched with was for mm-hmm. one product collection of products and then how 
the product library has expanded from that initial launch? Yeah. So I had the idea December 2016. And one of the things that was really important for me was to get this business out there quickly. You know, I had taken a big risk to work on it. And I wanted to quickly assess if people were looking for Made in the USA and if they wanted my products. Before you go any further, when you talk about the risk, mm-hmm. had you did you quit your job or your kind of previous situation in order to launch this or was it kind of a side hustle? Um, so at the time I was working for my dad's company, which was also in the pet industry. And we were planning for me to, to no longer work with him. Um, we, we found that we were better working as we were better as father, daughter than coworkers. So I was kind of looking for something. So it was a good opportunity, but you know, I, I did previously have a paycheck where for this, I didn't. Um, so for a while this, this was it. And, and so I needed to figure out, it was a time where I could take a risk, but I couldn't take it for years. And so I needed to figure out, is this something that people are looking for and that they're willing to buy for their cats? So when I had initially had the idea, it was for cat toys, which would be like a fabric toy stuffed with catnip. But I found that that was going to be pretty complicated because you have to buy fabric in large quantities. Um, Having a whole sewist operation is complicated. And so I thought that might be too much for the first product. So I kind of shifted gears to explore other products that cats use every day that I wanted that were American made for my cats. Um, And so when I launched, I launched with our bowls the scratching pads, and then the ID tags. And um, the ID tags are actually made by my dad's company. So I started with a, a smaller number of products. So I could gauge, you know, are people looking for Made in the USA cat products? Once they got my products, do they like them? Um, and then from there, each year added more products to expand the portfolio. Gotcha. And so what products did you add? And as, as you're kind of thinking about that, like just mm-hmm. take us through the mindset of a product entrepreneur where, you know, you have both capital needs in terms of being able to build up an inventory to sell, mm-hmm. but also a degree of either, you know, either de-risking a product or just having that cognizance of this will kind of fit together within the portfolio mm-hmm. of what I'm offering to a potential customer. Yeah. So the first year we had the bowls, the scratchers, and the ID tags. So then the second year, um, I was really happy with how things were going with my scratcher manufacturers. They, they really felt like part of the team. They had cats, loved cats, made great products. So I was able to work with them to add on our ball toys and the scratcher beds because they use the same materials, a very similar process. So that was efficient in a lot of ways that I knew the manufacturers, I was already happy with one of their products and they could make some other products that cat owners would also like. Um, So in year two, those products launched. Then in year three, the stand came to be an idea, um, the elevated stand, which raises the cat bowl three inches off the ground. And that was actually inspired by my customers. Okay. I, um, I previously didn't use a bowl stand. Um, you know, my cats were eating from from our AmeriCat company bowl on the floor. Um, but I would say a couple times a month, once the business grew, I was getting emails from customers asking, 
if we had a bowl stand or if I could recommend another company's stand that would hold our bowls. And so that was just really eye-opening that you know people really want this stand. Yeah. And I don't I want them to get it from a Miracat company. Um, it would help their cats. It would help them. And so that really became a priority for me to develop. And so the stand really started from scratch where um, this is it. It's, it's steel bent into that shape and just holds the bowl nicely. I had to find a new manufacturer for that. So, you know, I had to research different companies that had that capability. We went through... 10 or 12 different designs. Even though this is really simple, it's it's highly sophisticated with getting to the right height. You want the cat to be able to approach the stand and not, you know, be too far away that they're having to reach for their food. I have hardwood floors. You want the stand to not move around and scratch your floors. Right. You also don't want the bowl to jingle when it's in there because that would scare the cat and and not hold the food as well. So it has to be very sturdy. So with this company, I, you know, wrote out a list of probably five or six different criteria that the stand had to meet. And then I felt very fortunate. They had one of their product designers work with me on, on doing all the modeling and the, the designing of the different stands. And then from there, I got prototypes of the ones that were my, my top favorites, tested them out on Bella and Louie, yeah. um, showed them to some people. And that was really how we launched the stand. And when I launch a product at the start, you know, I try to order a relatively small quantity at, the, at first. The first order for this was 500 units. And that way you can just make sure there's no surprises get other people's cats using it and get their feedback, make sure the product looks like what I was expecting from the prototype. But this company was great. Um, everything exceeded my expectations. I, I launched it as a pre-order shortly before Christmas last year because people just wanted them so badly. I even had people offering to buy my prototypes. <laughs> And so then when it when it launched, it just, it did really well. I had to order another batch shortly thereafter, and um, it's become one of our strongest products. So another uh, uh, past uh, guest on the show is the maker of paw print oxygen, which is for uh, primarily dogs with like short snouts that have issues getting enough oxygen. It's kind of like a, uh, you know, the owner can s- save their animal and not have to necessarily go to a, vetera- a veterinary hospital to take care of them. Huh. But that's a very... In in my mind, my perception, a very kind of specialized product. There's a, a kind of a specific need, and you could see how there's other oxygen applications. But their basic model is, we can be one of, if not the only, suppliers of this very kind of specialized thing, and then get it as broadly distributed as possible. Whereas my perception of a brand like Americat. Like you said, there's this kind of value alignment in it's American made. It has certain kind of standards for for quality that that the products are made of. But then the capacity to become that full suite of products is really what you're in pursuit of, right? Like it probably, there was probably a little bit of you was like, okay, I guess I could recommend a a stand for the bowl. But like, shucks, I'd prefer to be selling you that stand. I know, AmeriCat companies can be better. (laughs) On and on down the line. So um, have you kind of felt 
I guess maybe that pressure or that kind of like catalyst to say like, okay, like how quickly can we build out so that, you know, this cat, this, this customer's cat is an AmeriCat in that it's mm-hmm. entire suite of, you know, products in its life cycle. Yeah. Or something we provide. Yeah. So my goal is to be people's favorite cat brand where they can go and get all of the essentials that their cats use every day. And so currently we, we have a lot of products, but we don't have everything. And so over time I do want to add more and, I think about being like a product company versus a brand. Yeah. And so I didn't want to be just the cat bowl company. I wanted to be a brand where people, they try our bowl, they they fall in love with it. And people really, they talk about how they never thought they could get so excited about a cat bowl because it truly just feels so nice to feed your cat from it. And then they, they build this this love and trust for AmeriCat company. So then when we launched the litter mat, they they know it's going to meet a certain standard and then they're going to be more likely to try it. And so so that is the goal that when the business first launched and I came up, I changed the name from USA Kitty to AmeriCat company, did a lot of work on the logo. I, I started going to some in-person events just to see people's visual reaction when they they read the name and saw the logo and I saw them smile like it just made them feel good and they were drawn to it and and so it was important that the the brand had that kind of warmth and resonated made in the USA but then also that each product meets that standard so that when they try one and fall in love with it then as we keep adding more products they will just become you know, more, more in love and more loyal to the brand. Gotcha. So when you think about charting that trajectory to eventually having the entire suite of everything, everything anyone could ever want, what feels like the kind of primary constraint on something like that? So for example, we talk with some entrepreneurs that are maybe constrained by capital. And if you read a book like Shoe Dog with uh, Nike, he's talking about how they're constantly going to the bank to get more money to borrow so they could do the next run of shoes that mm-hmm. they can go then sell. So they're always kind of like capital constrained in this mm-hmm. part of their history. In some cases, it's time. In some cases, it is perhaps the manufacturers who can actually make this stuff. What yeah. feels or what seems to be the, the constraint that you face at this stage? It's really all of those for us okay. that, um, you know, anytime you are developing a new product, there's there's some investment that has to go into the design phase and then placing that initial order, which, you know, from all the research I do, it, it should sell, but it's, you don't know until it's actually out there. And then my time, like I, I am the head person that, that determines like what products we're going to launch next and how to prioritize those. And I like to be involved in, in the design process of for the design itself, it needs to be something that will appeal to cats' natural instincts because the cat needs to like it. Um, it also needs to be durable, and it needs to be something that will look good in someone's home because a lot of a lot of cat products are just not not attractive. Um, and so there's a lot of time involved in the design process, and then lastly the manufacturing. That um, you know it it is tough to find. U.S. manufacturers and to make the products at a cost that I can then um, calculate the retail price that I think would be reasonable for people to buy. Gotcha. So on the research front, 
I'd love to hear more both about you did the market research and, and came with the name change, but mm-hmm. also the research. You, you talk about people kind of sending in like, hey, I need a stand for the bull or mm-hmm. these other things, but you're, you're doing other ways of kind of ascertaining what people want. What does that look like and what is that? Or maybe even just tell us the story of the name change. Yeah, I can give you a couple examples. Um, so for the name change you know, it was probably 11 o'clock or midnight when I came up with USA Kitty. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was perfect that, you know, cat made in the USA, what better name? Um, But then when I was telling people about it and asked them what they thought of the name, I kind of just watching their face, it was kind of like, oh, it's good. Like, I could tell they didn't love it as much as I did. And um, based on my, my training in brand management from my prior corporate jobs, that's big on, on research of surveys, customer interviews, focus groups. Um, so I, I wasn't going to just fall in love with that name and make that the name because I liked it. So what I did was um, through one of the online crowdsourcing platforms, I created a project, um, you know, listed a creative brief explaining who I thought my target customer was, what kind of criteria I was looking for in a name. Um, You give a reward. So then I ended up getting probably 500 submissions for different names related to Made in the USA and CAT. From there, I picked the top 10 or so that I liked the best and did a survey to a couple hundred people, both people I knew, but then, you know, asked people to share for other cat owners so that it was strangers um, and had them rank the names themselves. And then also why the name they chose as their favorite was their favorite. And then why their least favorite was their least favorite to kind of get some qualitative analysis there. And so when I did that, AmeriCat Company really rose to the top. Um, and I liked that name. And so I... I changed paths. Fortunately, I was still in the early process. So, you know, I was able to start from scratch with getting the URL, getting the logo. um, And that's, that's how AmeriCat Company came to be the name. So when you're, you're crowdsourcing that, was that something like 99 designs that you were using? Yes. I can't remember the, I think it was squad help. Um, It was one of those. So to me, that's one of the things. And in many ways, you know, part of the founding of of our company, Hannah's Mind with Piper, was like, we kind of have this insight on our ability to produce something now in the digital age. Like, yes, those cameras cost us some money, but you can create something of really high quality that performs on YouTube with, you saw how quickly (laughs) and little amount of gear that we actually have rocking here. Um, And it's like one of those little like light bulbs you're like, most people haven't figured this out yet. Most people don't realize the power of something like this. And 99design squad help, it sounds like another thing where you're basically able to crowdsource creativity at a very competitive price. Yes. Had to be one of those moments where you're like, this is pretty powerful that like I yeah. could just tap into this. I had done it for another company that I had worked with changing their name and I just saw how much better the new name was. Yeah. And so that that gave me confidence to do it again for AmeriCat Company. And I, I totally think it was the right decision. Right on. So let's talk a little bit about that. You, you uh, in the past, worked in big corporations, mm-hmm. you know, banks, CPG companies. 
another thing that we hear from listeners uh, that is a kind of very common refrain are people that are, you know, for whatever reason, looking to reroute mid-career, make a change, um, hop into a different arena. And the question is often, what is transferable from those experiences and what isn't? So what are some of the things that you've taken from those earlier stages of your career in big corporations? And then what did you find you really needed to you know, either relearn or or learn anew once you start your own company? Yeah, that's a good question. So first, the consumer research piece, I really learned there at Johnson & Johnson, it would it would cost $100,000 to do consumer research, but I learned here that you can do it very cheaply and quickly, and it's very important. So besides the name, whenever I'm exploring new product ideas or designs, I'll also do a survey to get people to rank or to give feedback on them. So I, I use like what I've learned about consumer research all the time. The branding piece was also something I really learned from CPG and Johnson and Johnson. You know, you think of there, I was working on Tylenol, Zyrtec, Sudafed. People are choosing those brands, the name brand over private label, which is essentially the same product, the same ingredients, the same efficacy, but why are they choosing Tylenol? It's because they have built this level of trust and this, you know, this special feeling that you can't quantify, which is the brand equity. And so that that shaped my view on I didn't want to be a product company, just a cat bowl company or a cat scratcher company. I wanted to build an iconic brand, a national brand that has that that strong brand equity. The the business planning forecasting component was something that I learned that was really helpful. So there, um, business planning is like a three-month process with tons of presentations, fancy PowerPoints, very in-depth. I don't need that for a Maricat company. I can do business planning in a couple days. But some of the the foundations, so like I learned about this idea of doing a day of learning where you know, for one day, just think about what are the things that worked in the last year, the things that didn't work, what did you learn about your customer, what did you learn about the product and the business, just kind of write down all those observations, and then also analyze, do the SWOT analysis, the strengths, weakness, opportunity, threats of kind of the the big picture of the business. Um, So I, I do that process, and then I do a you know, a business plan where I think of the three or four priorities for the year. I found that as an entrepreneur, there's my to-do list is absolutely never ending. I will never get through all of it. And there's always new ideas that want to pull me in that direction. But I find that if I can think of those three things that this next year I'm really going to focus on, that helps the business move forward and is more strategic for my time, the investment, um, so, so after the day of learning, then creating the business plan and coming up with those strategies and tactics for the year, I go through a forecasting process. I did a lot of forecasting at Wells Fargo and at Johnson and Johnson, and um, I find it really helpful just so that you can, you know, project your growth for the next year. I do it month by month, so that every month that goes by, I then look at how was my actual performance versus the forecast. And if, you know, if it's down, then like, what, what do you have to tweak? Maybe it's one of those strategies that I initially thought isn't quite working. So I need to adjust. If it's up, then, you know, I can 
invest some of that into a different area of the business. So I just find it's really helpful to know where I am throughout the year. So it's not, you know, a big surprise at the end of the year of of where you land. I kind of throughout the year know where the business is going to land. And so forecasting and budgeting, even though they're not the most fun part, I think are just really important to understand that the numbers, which is like the language of the business. Yeah. In terms of things that have been different, there, I I once had a $10 million marketing budget, um, which was for a, you know, even a small part of the brand. So the whole brand's marketing budget was was closer to $100 million. And yeah, I have to imagine a brand like Tylenol or Sudafed, they've got some... Yeah, crazy. I mean, they're doing TV, print, all sorts of digital, radio. Um, and so that that results in a very big budget, um, where for AmeriCat company, it's, it's 100% owned by me. I have I self-funded it at the start and now it's sustainable with cash flow but so it's you know I can't I can't invest in marketing like that and so I've found that I have to be more strategic and rely on try to encourage word of mouth that once the customers love my products how can I you know, plant the seed for them to spread the word what are some strategies that you've done to kind of instigate that I, I, I ask them to, like, I, I have an email flow where um, part of it's, you know, follow us on social media, which would be to encourage shares and likes. And then in, in my emails, you know, I say things about it's a great gift for your cat loving friends. When I talk about our business growth, like I thank them that we couldn't have gotten this far without them telling their friends about it, buying the products as gifts for their friends. So I try to just help them like keep reminding them that that they're a big reason for our growth their their enthusiasm for the products and it does lend itself to one of the ways like exactly what you said there at the end of buying it for someone else Mm -hmm. where if it is values aligned there's a lot of signal and hey i got you this you know placemat for your cat's food or i got you this item because it's not only expressing you know my shared affinity for your pet that we've talked about already being like family but also this kind of similar like quality product type of mm-hmm. positioning. And it's something different that they probably hadn't seen before. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, I, I feel really fortunate that we get a lot of reorders that people are buying more of, of the same product for their, their pets because, you know, some people will buy 12 bowls because they have multiple cats. They're washing the bowls every day. Wow. So people do need multiple of the same product. Is there stuff that wears out that's disposable? Would that be the scratching? So the... The scratching pads and the balls um, hypothetically can wear out over time. These um, are are some of my original ones that that Bella and Louie are using that are um, yeah. on the carpet that have actually been around for four years since the start. Well, that's almost like you know they say that with the like the Patagonia jackets. It's like we want you to repair it. We don't want you to like go buy a new one. It's yeah. it's built to last, and that's like one of the trade offs of the quality product makes it easier to refer makes it less likely that someone's going to come back yeah buy their 27th bowl right but so yeah they really last a long time um the the scratchers or the balls would be the first things that would be recycled once they're once they're scratched to death but we're still going on four years so gotcha so 
at the very beginning of this, you talked about the products also being safe. So mm-hmm. as you were looking for, you know, across Amazon and these other platforms, you're also concerned about just what is actually comprised in these products. Yeah. Um, can you speak to, as you've just gotten smarter about the cat product space generally, what are uh, either, you know, contaminants or toxic elements or, or things mm-hmm. that you see or have, you know, there's been reports of cat products containing this that yeah. you're very diligent to make sure never would be an AmeriCat product? Yeah. So before I even had this idea, I was still looking for made in the USA cat products because I believed they were safer and higher quality. And so, for example, you know, a lot of the toys have little pieces like eyes or little ball for the nose that are not strongly attached that could be ripped off and, and choked on. So you really have to be on a, a watch for for different pieces. And like, for example, that's why I didn't put a rubber cap on the bottom of the bowl stand because I didn't want to have a small piece that a cat could potentially choke on. Got it. Um, so all of our products are or kind of one one unit don't have pieces um, and even in the future when I work on on toys I will be strategic about not having any parts that can come off there had also been a series of recalls of pet foods that had been you know recalled from manufacturers in China and even a stainless steel cat bowls. There was a series of recalls for them um, that were recalled from China because they contained radioactive metal cobalt. Yes, it's scary because, you know, people think about being very careful about the food they give their cats, but what about the bowl that it's sitting in and that they're licking from? So for our products, um, for the bowls, after they're made, they go to a third-party lab that's approved by the Consumer Protection Safety Committee. And they're tested for radioactive metals, including um, lead, cadmium, mercury. And then they're certified that they're they're free of radioactive metals. And is that something that you're basically building into the cost model of these products so that you can just kind of communicate that on your brand website? Like there's, there's no regulatory agency for cat products or something like that that's there's i think there is for when it comes to food but there's there's not really for for my products so i've i've tried to go the extra mile to investigate what the material is in it so for example also for the scratchers it's it's recycled cardboard which is safe but then how do you attach the cardboard you need a glue right there's some glues that would be toxic. Um, we researched into finding a glue that is approved by the FDA for food safe use. So it's it's a non-toxic glue. And so I personally look into all the components of the ingredients to make sure that they're safe. I mean, I, I use them for my own cats, so I definitely want them to be safe. And then my customers are trusting me that they're getting safe products from us. And so it, it is very important to research each of the product components that go into it, that both it's U.S. sourced and that it's a safe, non-toxic ingredient material. Right on. Well, I, I always say I, I love someone that has skin in the game with whatever it is. Like you, you want the cook that candidly is maybe a little overweight because they just love this food and they're like tasting it all the time and always consuming it. And in the same sense, like you you walk the walk with your own uh, collection of kittens walking around the house here and uh, making products for them is going to, you know, make sure you abide by a certain type of quality. Yeah. Right on. 
Diane, it's been fantastic. Anything else you were hoping to share today that I didn't give you a chance to? I don't think so. What is the kind of dream product on the horizon that you haven't got to yet that you can't wait to eventually be able to produce? Um, so next, I, I do want to get into some of the textile products, like the the original idea for a cat toy. My my customers really want them. And it's at this point four years in the making. So I know that when we launch the cat toy, it's going to be amazing. But I've, I've even started to learn to sew. So I'm familiar with yeah. how patterns and fabrics work. So textiles for, you know, which have, have applications for toys or beds are something I'm interested in the future. Well, I'm sure it's also super exciting to, you know, slowly build up your email list and know mm-hmm. that this next launch will be launched to however many people you already kind of have in the database as mm-hmm. opposed to starting from square one. Right. Right on. Um, so if people want to check out the products, check out everything you're doing, uh, what digital coordinates can we provide people to learn more? Yeah, the best place to order would be from my website, which is www.americatcompany.com. Um, we offer free and fast shipping on everything. And it's that way when you order from our website, um, hopefully sign up for the newsletter. And that's the best way to learn when we have sales, new product launches. Um, we also publish a blog post that has cat care tips. So really good information to learn about how to make the indoor environment better for your cat. What's an underrated cat care tip? So one thing that's really surprising is that food and water should be separated. Interesting. In the wild, cat behaviorists have found that cats go to get water from one area, but then come back to their nest to eat. And so in a home environment, having food and water, like you'll see kind of traditional stands have them right next next to each other. And the problem for that is that food can fall into the water dish and then some, it just kind of turns off cats because it's not what they're used to naturally in the environment. Um, and so that was a big reason for the stand. We made it a single bowl stand versus a double stand. Got it. So I would encourage people to separate their cat's food and water and observe if your cat drinks more water. I found that for mine, she did. And it was really surprising. Like you, you would never think that because you're just used to seeing them right next to each other. But they should actually be separated according to the cat behaviorists. Fascinating. (laughs) Uh, Well, we will link the website in the show notes for this episode. You can find it for every single episode of the show at goingdeepwitharen.com slash podcast or in the app where you're probably listening to this right now. Are you also on any of the other like third-party retailers as well? Yes. So we also have a store on Amazon. So it's amazon.com slash americatcompany. We're on thegromit.com which focuses on new and innovative products. And then we are in, at this point, over 130 pet retailers, pet specialty locations. Wow. Um, and so you can ask your your local pet store if they carry AmeriCat Company. Um, and if they don't, they can reach out to us because we, we're expanding across the country with that. So is that another thing that you've had to take on in terms of like the sales and distribution? Have you had a partner for that part of the process? So... Fortunately, there are a couple um, websites. One is called wholesalepet.com and the other is called fair.com, which are kind of a middleman where thousands of retailers buy from those sites. And rather than the, the retailers establish individual accounts which each of, with each of the hundreds of pet products that they carry, they can order from multiple companies at once from these sites. 
And so I did have to go through the sell-in process to get on these sites, but because they have such a large retailer base, they do marketing to them. A lot of retailers have found me through those sites. Very cool. Well, like I said, we're going to link that on the show notes. Uh, but before I let you go, I'd like to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. Okay. My challenge would be if, if you have an idea or are working on some sort of project, whether it's you know a new logo, packaging, a product itself, get it out there quickly. I think for AmeriCat Company, one of the benefits was launching within 10 months um, just to get it out there, to get the reactions, to then get the confidence that there's something here and, and I'm onto something and this is going to all work out. I, I see entrepreneurs that are kind of in a bubble with themselves and maybe a couple people on their team just deliberating, iterating over and over. And until you get the product out there, you're never going to know what strangers who have to pay from their own money, um, if they're going to like it or not. So I struggle with this sometimes. Like I, I want to make things perfect and think about all the different angles, um, but but get something out there. So for me, I'm, I'm working on new packaging. So my goal is to place the order for the packaging in the next week. And I would encourage you to whatever you're kind of tinkering with that it has been way too long, put it out there so you can get people's feedback. Well, it's also the truth that it's just never going to be perfect. Right. And so you can put, you know, X amount of time or two X or three X in at some point, it's going to make contact with customers and someone's going to love it and someone's going to hate it. And so knowing that that's almost a presupposition, you might as well get that contact with the customer, which makes your next iteration more powerful because you're actually going to get real tangible feedback, like you said, from strangers. Exactly. That's super valuable. I've learned that progress and forward movement is better than perfection when you're an entrepreneur, which has been hard for me because (laughs) in some of my jobs, I I had to be very, very perfect, very precise. But whatever you put out there that's progress is still going to be very good. And and that way you you get the feedback, like you said. Well, that was the perfect little nugget of wisdom for us to wrap up on. Thank you, Diane, for some, for sharing so much of your time with us today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. We just went deep with Diane Danforth, who went out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thanks for listening to my conversation with Diane. If you are interested in another pet product company, then you'll enjoy my interview with Blake Dubay of Paw Print Energy and Aeronics. We talk about how he's using his pet product to get a wedge into selling oxygen in a different style of container and how he's thought about marketing the product. I found it really fascinating, linked it in the show notes so that you can learn from it too. And I've got another great episode coming next week. So make sure you're subscribed. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.